Hello, Mosaic Church. Uh, for many of you um, that don't know me, my name is Brady, uh, and I, I got to be a part of this church for many years. Uh, and this man, this place is so dear to my heart. Uh, and, and all of you, even those of you that I don't know, are very dear to my heart. Uh, one of the things that I love about this church is that through the years, uh, it has been very transient. Uh, there have been a number of people that have sat in those chairs, that have sat in those seats. Uh, people with similar stories to you, people with different, vastly different experiences than you, who are now all over the world. And hopefully, by God's grace, he is still working mightily in their lives. And from a place like this, people over the world are encountering Jesus in unique and powerful ways. And I love it because it really speaks to the depth about what we're gonna talk about tonight. Um, we're gonna start off with something that Jesus said. And, and let me tell you, I, I am a huge advocate of Jesus. Uh, I like to describe myself as an imperfect follower of Jesus because uh, I like to set expectations right uh, because that's the accurate you know, picture of what I am. I am imperfect. On my best days, I am stumbling towards Jesus. Like that is my best day. But when I think about some of the things that Jesus said, when I'm reading through the gospels and I come to those red letters, those red words, there are things that I read that sometimes I think, really? Have you ever come across something in the Bible you thought was hard to believe? I mean, the Bible says some pretty incredible things. I mean, some mind-blowing things, some things that are difficult to wrap your mind around, much less believe. I bet most of us have someone in our life who is difficult to believe. Can you think of someone who, when they say something, you're like, eh, maybe. You know what I'm talking about? And, and it could be because they're not trustworthy, it could be that they're so over-the-top optimistic that you think, okay, you just don't see the world in the same way that I do. You see it with these like pixie-colored glasses where everything looks very different than the world that I see. Or maybe I just have these, you know, these just dark-shaded glasses that make it look worse. I don't know. My wife is that way. She sees the world with these rainbow-colored glasses, and the way that she talks about it, I'm like, are we living in the same world? Is this the same thing going on? Because I don't know. I don't think that's real. I don't think that's accurate. I'm not sure that's going to happen. And she has all these big dreams. I mean, she is a big dreamer. And sometimes it's a little hard to believe. She's not here, so I can say that. Please don't tell her. But please, please, please don't tell her. But there's a statement that Jesus makes to his disciples. This is his closest followers. And this is the, the night, uh, this would be, uh, you know, Thursday night, uh, they're, they're, they're gathered around a table. They're eating a meal. And this is the meal that he brings this incredible epic significance to. They're having the Passover meal and he, it turns into the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. And they have a number of different pieces of conversation. But Jesus says this to the disciples. And in my opinion, this had to be the most difficult thing that Jesus said for them to believe. Out of all of the things he said, this is it right here. John chapter 16, verse seven, Jesus says this. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Now, does Jesus always tell the truth? Yes. So, so you wonder, why does he have to like really make a point that he's telling the truth right now? I think it's because this is gonna be so difficult to believe. 
He says, I, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, I'm guessing maybe someone in your family, perhaps someone in your friend group, if they said, hey, I, I gotta go, you, you're like, oh, that's, that's kind of good. I, I've been needing some space. I've been actually kind of wanting to talk to you. I'm sure every time I go on a trip, my life is like, my wife is like, finally, I have the house to myself. I can just hang out with our puppy dog. Hey, that's not what's going on here. Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. And now when I was reading this, I thought about, obviously, I thought about October 3rd, uh, October 6th, 1993. Right, I'm sure that's exactly what all of you thought about too. Like you guys were immediately transported into a room in Chicago in October 6, 1993. And you were sitting with uh, Hoyce Grant. You were sitting with Bill Cartwright. You were sitting with John Paxson. You were sitting with Scottie Pippen. And Michael Jordan was at the table. And he said to them, hey guys, I'm about to go out to a press conference and I'm gonna announce to the world that I am retiring. But hey, it's okay, it's good news. It's, it's good that I go away from the team and go play baseball. Now, I don't know how many of you guys are basketball fans or baseball fans, but I'm guessing most of you have at least heard of Michael Jordan. He is what people call the GOAT, the greatest of all time. He's the greatest basketball player ever. Now, I know you could argue it. You'd just be wrong, and that's okay. It's fine for you to be wrong. I've been wrong one time. It was like I thought I was wrong, but I wasn't wrong, and I was wrong about being wrong, and it was hard. It was really hard to take. Michael Jordan, greatest basketball player of all time. And he, this is Michael Jordan. And I want you to know, he was at the prime of his career. In fact, it might be that he could have even gotten better. This wasn't one of those, you know, Tom Brady moments where he, you know, he goes to Tampa Bay and, you know, he's on the, he's on the end of his career. Now, still probably better than most quarterbacks, right? Still a great player, but not the Tom Brady of his prime, right? Down a few notches where when he goes to the table and said, hey, I'm going to retire. You're like, oh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, that makes sense. Yeah, you, you know, it, it's fine. Yeah, I, I get that. It's better that I go, yeah. Yeah, because we'll probably draft a really good quarterback in the first round then. Yeah, okay. This was Michael Jordan at the top of his game. They had just won three national championships or world championships. He was the MVP of the league many, many times. He was the MVP of the uh, championships many times. He was the defensive player of the year many times. Could you imagine him saying, it's better that I go and everyone be like, yeah, that, that makes sense. No, like no way. If you think about Jesus sitting around the table with his disciples, they'd been with him for three years. And during those three years, the things that they saw, the things that they heard, the things that they experienced blew their mind. Could you imagine being around someone who on the daily blew your mind with what he would do? Just, he would speak and you're like, wow, that was amazing. He always knew what to say. He always knew the exact question to ask. He always knew how to open up a person's heart and get to the root of what's really going on inside, no matter what they thought was going on or not. He was better than any professional fisherman. Right, there's a group of fishermen that had been fishing all night. They caught nothing. He said, hey, why have you tried the other side of the boat? And then they put out their nets and they catch so many fish, the nets start to break. Jesus, fastest man on water. Like Jesus, like it's better that I go. Jesus who could speak a word and it would fight bacteria and viruses better than anything we got in medicine today. Jesus, who could rewire neural pathways, who could reconnect nerves between the brain and the spine and the limbs with a touch. Jesus saying, it's better that I go. 
Jesus who said, hey, we are going to bring the kingdom of heaven to bear on this planet, but it's better that I go. Jesus who could reanimate cells that were dead in the life of deceased people. They had seen him raise dead people to life. I can't imagine what the disciples were thinking when Jesus said, it's better that I go. Except, I, I think you're wrong, Jesus. I, I beg to differ. Like, I, uh, th- that can't be. So how in the world could it be that Jesus could say it's better that I go? He goes on, and he says, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, the helper has a number of names. The helper, the advocate, the counselor, the comforter, the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. He says, if I don't go away, he's not going to come. But if I go away, I will send him to you. So it's better that I go. I think about Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter eight is Jesus. It's right after he gave the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, arguably the greatest sermon of all time. He gives a sermon on the Mount. He's walking down the mountain and, it, and a leper comes up to him. Now, now it's hard for us to really grasp immediately what that would have been like. Just so you know, that would be the last person you would have wanted coming up to Jesus if you were one of his followers. Because not only would there be the fear in your heart and your mind that Jesus might catch what he had, which leprosy was terrifying back then. It's probably still pretty scary now, but back then, the way that they thought about it, it was terrifying because not only did it do what it did to your body, not only was it a death sentence, but also it was a communal outcast. Like if you got leprosy, you had to exclude yourself from community. And you think about this guy, like we don't know when the last time was that someone shook his hand. We don't know when the last time was that someone hugged him, that someone held him. He had been out without human touch for as long as he knew he had this disease. And he comes to Jesus and he bows before him. He says, Lord, if you will, you can cleanse me. And it says, Jesus stretched out his sand and he said, I will be clean. And the Greek, which is, it's written in Greek, the the book of Matthew. And, and, And the word picture that's there is this word that means that Jesus stretched out as far as he possibly could. And I think that is the best picture of what we have in Jesus, is Jesus is God stretching out as far as he possibly can in the form of a single human. And yet, and yet God wanted to reach out further. That's why Jesus said, it's better that I go. Because in Jesus, God reached out as far as he could in the form of a single human. And yet God said, that's not enough. I want to reach out further. Now, what is going on in this? We've been in a series for a while and we're talking about this incredible overarching story of the scriptures that God created this incredible home for us to experience. We rejected it and yet he is still bringing it to us. And it deals with these different realms, these different spaces, these different dimensions, if you will. And two of them are heaven and earth. 
And, and I think you could picture heaven and earth at the very beginning when it says God created the heavens and the earth. I think the idea is we're supposed to see that heaven and earth were created to be these overlapping realms. And I've got, a, I've got an image that, that, you know, it's not very complicated, right? It's just two circles. But imagine earth is the green circle and heaven is the white circle. That this was the intention when God created the heavens and the earth. He created them to be these counterparts that were supposed to be these overlapping, intertwined spaces. Heaven is the space where God's will is done, where God reigns supreme. And earth is the space where he curated humans to exist. And that they were supposed to be overlapping so that earth would be a space that was full of justice, that was full of beauty, that was full of life, that was full of freedom, that was full of abundance and grace and kindness and compassion, exactly like heaven is. And yet we said, God, we don't want that. We don't want that. We don't want heaven in that way. And not only did God want these spaces to be overlapping, he invited us, these people who are made from dirt, to partner with him in ruling this space. He said, I want you to have dominion over this. That God invited us, creatures from the dirt, to be with him in ruling this heaven and earth space. But we said, nah, we don't want that. We don't want to do this with you. We want to do it on our own, on our own terms, in our own way. We want to redefine good and, uh, good and evil according to our own terms, what we think is best, what we think is right. And so God, like a gentleman, said, okay, and we see this play out in Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one, we see God saying in this space, if that's what you want, I'm gonna give you a little bit of a taste of what you actually want. And I'm gonna allow you to experience what that's going to actually bring you. I'm gonna allow you to experience the natural byproducts of your choice to rebel against me, your choice to sin, your choice to bring sin into this planet. And we'll just kind of let you see how that works. And what we see is that as God politely exited, we invited hell into our world. Now, there's this next image. And I think it's a, it's a good picture of what's going on. Now, now, when you think about heaven and you think about hell, I'm guessing for most of us, we tend to think about heaven and hell as these future realities. Right? It's the thing that happens when I die. When I die, then, then the heaven and the hell thing's gonna happen. Now, yes. Heaven and hell are future realities. But what the Bible talks about often is not the future reality of heaven and hell, but the present reality of heaven and hell. That there is a present reality of heaven and a present reality of hell that we can and do experience in this world today. And what we see in the scripture is as we said no to God, as we said no to his kingdom, we said yes to hell. And although God in his kindness doesn't allow us to experience the full weight of what hell brings, just to taste, it's pretty awful. And if you just look at the news, and I'm just guessing even in your own life, you've experienced some of hell. You've experienced the hurt. You've experienced the pain. You've experienced the awfulness that hell brings, the corruption and the destruction and the hurt that hell brings. You've experienced it in your own life. And when you think about the people that are hurting, the people that are starving, uh, the people that are outcast and overlooked, the people that are enslaved, you just can begin to see the way that hell is present in our world. 
Here's the way that Jesus said it. He said it in Matthew chapter 23, verse 15, like this. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, which would be a convert into Judaism. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Jesus said, when you make a convert, because the way that you do religion, you make him a child of hell. Someone who is experiencing hell in the way that they live. Because we invited hell into our space. And yet, and this is just so beautiful. Even though God politely said, okay, I'm going to kind of step out of the way. What we've been seeing throughout this entire journey in this series is that he said, but I'm not done with you. First of all, I'm not going to allow you to experience the fullness of this, but I'm going to set up a, I'm going to set up an embassy on this earth. And we looked at it. We saw the tabernacle was this, this outpost for God and for heaven on this planet in the midst of his people. And the temple was the same reality. And then last week we looked at Jesus and saw how Jesus was God bringing heaven to this earth. And wherever Jesus went, he spread heaven into people's lives. And it was beautiful. Jesus said this, and I love this because it really shows the movement of what's going on. He said this to Peter. He's asking his disciples, hey, um, who are people saying, like when people talk about me around the, the, the water cooler, like, like what are they saying about me? Who are they saying that I am? And, and Peter's like, oh, some say John the Baptist come back to life. Some say Elijah come back to life. Some people say just one of the prophets. He said, what about you? My followers, y'all, y'all who've been around me for a number of years and you've seen, you've experienced, you've heard, what do you say about me? Who do you say that I am? And Peter steps up and I love this moment because this is one of those moments where Peter gets it right. And I also love it when Peter gets it wrong because it makes me feel like, like I, I could have been one of Jesus's disciples because I get it wrong all the time. Peter said, you are the Messiah, which means the anointed king. You're the one that the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament has been pointing to this whole time. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, yes, the father has revealed this to you. And he says this, he says, and I tell you, you are Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, how many moviegoers do we have? Moviegoers. Now, have you ever been to a movie where there's some sort of battle that takes place um, around a city? City's got a wall and it's got gates. Now, the gates, is that an offensive or a defensive weapon? It's a defensive weapon. It's, It's to prevent people from coming into the city. And what Jesus says here is heaven is on the move and heaven is coming to reclaim all the territory that hell has taken. We're going to invade hell and the gates that are preventing people from invading will not stand against us. My church is going to invade hell and we're going to reclaim all of this territory for the kingdom of heaven. That the movement is heaven coming back in and invading the spaces that have been occupied by hell. I love this. And this is the movement of the church. We're going to get into much more next week. But if you think about this idea that Jesus is on a mission to take down hell and its strongholds, he's got to start at the source of hell. And this is where things get really good. 
James. James chapter three, verse six says this. This is James, he's the half brother of Jesus. And he's writing after Jesus has risen from the grave. And at first when Jesus was on the planet, he didn't believe in Jesus. But after he rose from the dead, James was all in. And this is what James wrote as he's writing to the churches. He says this, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Who here has been hurt by something someone said? Who here has been hurt pretty bad by something someone said? You get this. This makes sense. He says, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body and setting on fire the entire course of life. How powerful is the tongue, right? With a word, with a phrase, you can just bring hell into someone's life by saying, I hate you. I don't ever want to see you again. You're not worthy of my love. You're not worthy of my time. You're not worthy of my attention. I don't want to be around you anymore. Like you just, I mean, those phrases, they begin to hit. And there's so many more that are probably even worse. And James says this. He says, the tongue is set on fire by hell. So when you hear these words that come out that are so destructive, they're so painful, they're so heart-wrenching, James says they are set on fire by hell, that hell is the source of those words. And here's what Jesus says, very similar, Matthew chapter 15, verse 18. He says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. James says, Our words that do damage are set on fire by hell. And Jesus says those words actually come from the heart. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. What Jesus is saying is that the human heart is a hell factory. That it's our heart that produce these hellish things. These hellish ideas like one race is better than another race. These hellish ideas like one gender is better than another gender. These hellish ideas that the rich should stay rich and the poor should stay poor. These hellish ideas that divide us and hurt us, that enslave people, that oppress people, that hurt people. He says it comes from the human heart, that our hearts are a factory pumping out hell. And so if God is going to remove hell from this planet, he's got to start here. And this is exactly what Ezekiel says. Ezekiel was a prophet in the Old Testament and he's speaking for God. And he says this, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. He says, I, God, will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart. God says, one day I'm gonna give you a new heart. See, he knew that was the problem, that this was the source of hell. And so we needed a brand new heart And he says, in a new spirit, I'm going to put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And then I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes 
and to obey all of my rules. God said the heart is the problem. And so I'm going to remove the hell factory from you. And I'm going to put a new heart. And I'm going to put my spirit intertwined with yours. And it's going to begin to pump out heaven. From the heart that was pumping out darkness to a heart that's pumping out life. From a heart that was pumping out death to a heart that's pumping out life. From a heart that was pumping out slavery to a heart that's pumping out freedom. To a heart that was pumping out gossip to one that's pumping out encouragement. From one that was pumping out lies to a heart that's pumping out truth. From a heart that was pumping out lust and objectification to a heart that's pumping out love. That is what God promised that he is going to do for us. And in John chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus comes up and he says this. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit who those who believed in him were to receive. Jesus said, just like God said through Ezekiel, we're gonna get this new heart. And now this heart that is intertwined with God's own spirit is gonna pump out living water. It's gonna pump out heaven. That followers of Jesus who have been given a new heart and have God's spirit, we now have the opportunity and the ability empowered by God's spirit to pump out life-giving waters. Jesus goes on, John chapter 20, verse 19. This is the, the Sunday that he rose from the grave. It says on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Which makes a whole lot of sense to me because I get startled very easily. I, the other day I was, I was, I was at work and I just opened a door and someone was standing there and I, and I screamed just like a man. And it, and, and it was I, like, I just get startled so easy. So I love, because I imagine, right, I'm standing there with Peter and John and, and Andrew and Bartholomew and Thaddeus, and, and we're hanging out, and the, the room's locked because we're terrified, and all of a sudden, Jesus is right here. I'm like, oh, oh my goodness. And he said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. I'm not here to scare you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And he said to them again, peace be with you. And he says this, as the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Think about this. As God, the father sent Jesus. Now we in the same way are being sent by Jesus. And what, I'm gonna give you a little hint. We're sent by Jesus to do God work. He says this, he says this, I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, when you think about forgiveness, is that human work or God work? That's God work. Now, now, if you hurt me and you apologize, I forgive you. Yeah, totally. But I mean like forgiveness on a scale of God is forgiving you. Like what business do we have forgiving people? I have no right to do that. 
I have no authority to do that. Yet Jesus said, now that you have my spirit inside of you, I am sending you like God sent me to forgive the world. Now you go and you spread out my forgiveness. That is the living water that is spreading out. That is the heaven that is going to take down the gates of hell. Y'all go and do this. You steward my forgiveness of people. It's not my forgiveness. It's God's forgiveness. But I have been given his spirit to steward his forgiveness to the world. Jesus said, it's better that I go. Because in Jesus, God reached out as far as he could in the form of a single human. But in the spirit, God reached out even further. He reached out into the depth of the human heart, removing the hell factory, giving a new heart and intertwining himself with his heart in such a way that it would pump out life and beauty, and freedom, and grace, and kindness, and encouragement, and compassion, building one another up in love, encouraging one another, serving one another, breathing life into people's lives. I mean, the picture of God that we see in scripture, it just, it blows me away. Later on in the book of Revelation, John is writing and he has this vision and he encounters Jesus. And Jesus writes these letters to these different churches and says, John, I want you to give these to the churches. And he writes one to the church of Laodicea. And he says this, now, get, mind you, this is to people who are followers of Jesus, right? They've already got God's spirit. They got the new heart. They got God's spirit with his heart. And yet this is what Jesus said. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. See, the picture that we have of God is of a God who desires to continue to know us more, to come even closer, to come even deeper, to be invited in and feast with us. That for God, it's never close enough. And I don't know about you, how much you long to be known by a person, how much you long to be seen by a person, how much you long to be with someone who loves you, who's for you, who accepts you, who champions you. To be near someone who wants to be near you. And the God of the universe, the one who spoke and the universe happened, he wants to be with you. He wants to be so close to you and he just wants to continually be closer. When I uh, met the girl who would become my wife, because I tricked her, <laughs> we had this incredible time together. We spent two days uh, together when we first met. And it, for, for me, and I know it's not always like this, but, but for me, it was what people described like that infatuation at first sight. You know, that just heartbeaten love, like I'm just head over heels, just all the way for her. I mean, I was so into her that I was willing to spend hundreds of dollars texting her because that was back when texting would cost you 25 cents a text. And by the way, there were no keyboards. This was just the numbers. And you have to figure out how to spell words with numbers. And it was the worst thing. I hated it, but it was worth it because I was so in love with her because she lived five and a half hours away from me. And after we met the first two days, she went back home and broke up with her boyfriend, obviously. <laughs> and then we began just, just texting and calling and we would talk late into the night. I mean, we would talk until it was so late. We would fall asleep on the phone because we were just so in love with each other. And three months went by 
And she finally came and moved to where I was. And I was so excited to see her. I hadn't seen her in so long. I couldn't wait to see her. And I remember she got out of the car and I ran over and just embraced her in just the biggest bear hug ever. And I just squeezed her as tight as I could. And I just knew, I, I, I just felt like I can't get you close enough. I, I just wanted to open up my chest and just like bring her in there, just like put her inside. Cause I just, I was like, I just wanna be close to you. And I think this is God. But here's what's so much better about God. In that moment, as I'm squeezing my wife, it was the very beginning of our relationship and I didn't know one bad thing about her. We've been married for 16 years now. I'll let you fill in the blanks. But our God while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That the picture of our God is one of someone who loves us so much that he wants us to embrace us and make his own home inside of us, but not just in the good places, not just in the neat and tidy spaces, not just in the places that we've tried to clean up and make look better, not in the places where we're gifted or where we're talented, but in the darkest, dingiest, dirtiest, nastiest, muddiest place inside of us. That he said, I'm coming into your heart, which is a hell factory. And I'm gonna make my home there. And I'm gonna remove that factory. And I'm gonna begin transforming all of those habits and patterns of sin, that hell stuff that you breathe out of your mouth. And I'm gonna make my home in here and I'm gonna transform the hell out of it. I'm gonna take every ounce of hell out of your life, out of your heart, out of your mind. Paul said, God began a good work in you. He's gonna finish it. He's gonna bring it to completion. There's not gonna be one drop of hell in our hearts and in our minds. He's gonna get it out of us because that's the God that we see revealed in scripture. And it blows my mind that he would love me like that, that he would want me like that that he would see me not just in the front that I present for people better than I am, but in the reality behind the facade. And he would say, I want in there. I love you. I accept you. I'm for you. And I'm gonna transform you. And I'm gonna make you look just like Jesus. I never thought I would say this, but I'm so thankful that Jesus left but only because he gave me his spirit and he gave it to every follower of Jesus. You might've thought he built up the expectations way too high, but man, let me tell you, the spirit just supersedes any expectation you have. He's so much better than we could imagine. And tonight we only scratched the surface. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your just, just incredible kindness your, your love for us, your, your, just your willingness to be near us, us, people who are broken, people who think things that are just so corrupt, people who hurt one another, people who on our best days are just stumbling towards you. God, thank you that you would want to be near us and thank you that you would continue to get closer that you would give us your spirit, your Holy Spirit, your spirit of wisdom, the counselor, the teacher, the comforter, the helper. 
so that we might be empowered to live lives that honor, glorify you and pump out heaven to this world. Give us the strength to continue to say yes to your invitation to come in deeper and give us the power to spread heaven to all of these places where hell exists on earth. We need you. And we ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.